Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim in the name of Allah the most gracious ever merciful welcome back to the breakfast show dear listeners we will be you know delving straight into our new segment of the morning and uh, we'll be discussing the weather as well uh, if uh, brother Halim could you uh, yeah. let us know a little bit about the weather yeah as you begin yeah. look outside our window it's mm. a bit of a depressing morning it's, it's going back to that normal you know UK UK weather UK yeah. weather yeah. is just a bit dreary it's raining outside yeah. And it looks a bit depressing yeah, as well. You have to push yourself out yeah. of bed in these days, right? Mm. So um, today, the northwest will see a mix of bright spells and scattered showers. These wintry over the hills in Scotland and largely cloudy elsewhere with showers in Wales and patchy rain for England. Um, tonight, uh, the north will become largely dry and clear, but a few showers will linger in the far north of Scotland. Southern areas of the UK will remain cloudy with patchy rain, mainly in South England. So I think tonight um, we will still see this spell of rain to continue. But tomorrow, um, Scotland will become gradually cloudy with rain moving into the far north. Uh, the far south of England will be cloudy with patchy rain in the morning. Elsewhere, dry with sunny spells. Um, and Friday, we will we'll see a variable cloud and bright spells with scattered showers developing in the north. Uh, Saturday will have some bright spells in the west early on, but it will be mainly cloudy elsewhere. Uh, Sunday will be a brighter day with plenty of sunshine and just some patchy clouds around. <coughs> so I think this week we will see plenty of rain, um, mm. hoping it does clear up. Yeah. Um, but it does say until Sunday mm. it should get a bit sunny hopefully, and enjoy hopefully it. Hopefully it does, yeah. yeah. You know, when it's when it's sunny outside, you look outside the window, you feel like, you feel a bit energised and yeah. you want to get up, you want to get You want to get work, on with your day. You want to get on with your day. But yeah. then when you look outside the window and you see this and you're just, yeah. it just makes you a bit down. Yeah, you just have to push yeah. yourself to do everything right. Mm. Get and we have, active. you know, we've covered this uh, topic as well quite a few times in The Voice of Islam as well in The Breakfast Show. Yeah. How weather affects your behaviour, oh, essentially. Yeah. It's, it's 100% yeah. correct, yeah. We um, can experience it mm. on our behalf, as in whenever it's sunny, mm. you want to get up. You want get to get on with it. You, you, you get, feel like yeah. you're missing out. If, if exactly. you see the sun outside, you feel like mm. you're missing out. You want to get up and get on with your day. Because it's, it's something we're essentially deprived of in this country. Yeah, it's true. Sun. It's true. It's true. And when it comes out, then, you know, people all flock together and everyone yeah. just goes out. And, and everyone's in a good mood, yeah. smiling at mm. you. And in the rain, everyone's head's just down trying yeah. to avoid everyone. Yeah, that's how it is. That's just how it is. So any uh, interesting news articles this morning that have caught your eye or any anything you'd like to mention about um, sports or anything? What um, did caught my eye was mm. the earthquake that hit once again in yeah. Turkey yeah. Um, <clears throat> a few days ago, um, if I'm correct, mm. which was a magnitude of 6.5. Yeah. Um, and it's quite worrying that yet again another earthquake hit in just a number mm. of days. Mm. Uh, I think we should just all keep um, everyone in our prayers. Um, I, saw, I also saw a video which is um, quite eye-opening mm. of the um, earthquake which just happened, which is a 6.5 magnitude. Yeah. Um, it was a dash cam on mm. to, um, in front of the car yeah. and you can literally see uh, when the earthquake hit and mm. the ground moving, mm. um, which um, when seeing it really opens your eye that what people are going through. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And you know the total death toll is more than forty five thousand. Yeah, that's and that's there's still people under yeah, the rubble that they're trying, they're crazy. discovering daily. Yeah, right? even even some famous um, 
uh, one famous footballer mm. was discovered under the rubble. He used mm. to be a former Newcastle United player. Mm. And they were looking for him for like a week. Mm. And then they knew he was in that part of the region. Yeah. And then after nine days of searching, they found him. What, unfortunately, was he unknown. Unfortunately, oh. no. He found him under the mm. rubble. So, yeah, we should keep all our, the... Our thoughts and prayers, you know, yeah. go go out to all the families and, uh, you know, all the affected uh, ones and their loved ones. And, you know, and, uh, as well as remembering them in your prayers, you know, you can always go online. Many different charities working to support and uh, provide aid and relief for for Syria and Turkey. And you can go online and donate. You know, our charity, the Humanity First, is also doing a great work abroad as well yeah. over there. And they're gone for relief as well. So you can also donate to them on their website as well, the Humanity First website. As well as that, um, anything anything else? Anything interesting? Um, uh, the headlines in the papers, <laughs> the Times, um, the headline is Putin signals the return hmm. of Cold War hmm. nuclear tests. So the Times reports Russia's president, which is Vladimir hmm. Putin, has uh, suspended its participation hmm. in the New START treaty. So the last treaty signed with the U.S., with the purpose of limiting the number and deployment of long-range nuclear missiles, hmm. warheads and launch platforms by both nations. Uh, Mr. Putin used his State of the Nation address hmm. in Moscow um, to accuse the West of starting the war. So he's basically accused the West of starting the yeah. war in Ukraine. Yeah. Um, and this paper is basically against hmm. Russia. You know, Islam, the, the, the meaning of Islam... Essentially, it means peace, peace right? Itself, yeah. So we, we are completely against violence, yeah. right? We completely condemn it, what's going on over there, what, you know, Putin is doing, you know, uh, having the war with Ukraine. We completely condemn it. And it is completely against our values, not just as Muslims, but as human beings as well. Hmm. But, you know, in the, um, the, the way I see it in my you know, personal view, the way the media is covering everything, you know, they're just bringing forth, you know, we've been seeing for the last few months, it's just Ukraine, Russia, the war completely. That's that's what the me yeah. media is just portraying, right? Yeah. Uh, rightfully so, in the in the sense that, um, you know, it is a thing that's going on. Yeah, and we should, we should help uh, those that are in need, those that are suffering. But, you know, uh, the, the earthquake that's happened, you know, it's a natural disaster. Yeah. Some may say, some may even argue it's a sign from God because... Um, in today's day and age, as uh, us being Muslims, especially, you know, we believe that uh, the the world is not going down the right path. People are straying from God, yeah. right? So uh, we, we you some some may even argue it's a, it's a sign from God, but you know what? Whatever the case is, obviously Allah the Almighty knows best. But um, that the coverage for that, the people um, asking for, you know charities, donations and everything. It's, I don't see it as much. Yeah, in the media. In the media yeah. especially. Yeah, I agree. The way it's being uh, yeah. covered, yeah. right? And maybe some will <clears throat> even say uh, the death toll mm. from the earthquake is higher yeah. th from the war in itself mm. that's happening mm. in Ukraine. So ideally we see the earthquake being a um, bigger problem right now. Definitely. Which should be spread out mm. in the media. Because is my we, personal we opinion, are yeah. a global community and it that's that's what we believe. And if not... We should strive to work as a global community. Yeah, if we see our fellow brethren who are struggling, who are, you know, who have been affected deeply mm. by the earthquake, mm. they've lost their loved ones, they've lost their houses. Yeah. Millions of people have been displaced, of course. right? Uh, but, you know, we do see, for example, uh, uh, Qatar, 
they all the you know the temporary accommodation they yeah. had they had like 10,000 homes Cup, yeah. for the World Cup they donated all of that yeah. but this news story it wasn't covered that much it wasn't covered in the in the media here yeah, yeah that, that's correct and also there's other other countries that are um, sending mobile homes mm. also I think it was um, I, I, I think I forgot the country Pakistan as well, you know, Pakistan is mm. not a rich country, yeah, and course. the the Pakistani rupee is going down day by day. But that, that's the thing. That's they the have be- donated a substantial amount as yeah, well. Yeah, right. That's that, the beautiful teaching of Islam mm. is that you see yeah. these Muslim <clears throat> countries, right? The beautiful teaching is that like for yourself, mm. what you like for others. Exactly. So, so if you um, put yourself in that situation. Mm. You will know what you will want at that time, right? Of course. So of then course. you will want that for your brother also. So right now they're suffering, and mm. we know if we put ourselves in that situation, what they will need. Mm. And Islam teaches us to go and put our hand forward and help those that are struggling. Of course. That's it, yeah. And, uh, you know, in other news, um, you know, one of the topics that we'll be covering today is toxic gaming. In terms of that, you know, there's a. Um, <clears throat> There's a, there's a new um, I'm sure all, all majority of our listeners are aware of the Harry Potter fran- franchise. You know, it was uh, the books were written by J.K. Rowling, and um, you know, and then they were turned into movies. There's now a game out uh, in regards to the Harry Potter movies, and uh, you know, a lot of people are boycotting it because um, some of the tweets that uh, J.K. Rowling made back in the years were a bit you know controversial. Some may argue transphobic. But um, she she did uh, obviously you know you can say because you know she wrote the books that's why the game came out but she didn't have di- direct influence towards the game or even in the books or even in the movies you don't see any you know, any any signs of anything mm-hmm. against trans people right mm-hmm. that's her personal opinion and um, obviously we're not saying that we're we're, we're all for human. Islam fully supports human rights. We we condemn any action taken against any community that is of violence or any wrongdoing. Of course, Islam completely condemns it. But the thing here is that you know you you can't just um, she did do a service in the sense that she's she made like she made these books and it's you know loved by millions of people, read by millions yeah, of people. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of yeah. people our age grew yeah. up watching <laughs> exactly the films that were made on these exactly. books. Exactly. Right? So. Um, you know, just because, for example, if we look at uh, even in history, we turn towards history of this this country. We look at Winston Winston Churchill, right? He was he was a great leader. He you know he led Britain to victory in many different battles. For example, the Battle of Waterloo, and uh, but the thing is, it's we should cover all the aspects of history, right? Like his his past was quite checkered as well. You know, it is proven from history as well that he 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 did many atrocities as well, atrocities of war, right? But you know, these sort of things aren't covered. Not but both sides of the story should be covered. Islam, the religion, it teaches to follow the middle path, right? Always you you always look at the middle path, the right path. You look at both sides of the story. You can't just be biased, right? That is the true teaching of Islam, and you know that's at the voice of Islam. This is what we're always trying to cover, and we're always trying mm-hmm. to we're always trying to tell our listeners and um, everyone to look at look into this and always try and follow the middle path. Yeah. And in other news, you know, there's um, <clears throat> uh, there's a headline with uh, about a Mormon church. Mormon church fined over claim it had thirty two billion of investments. 
32 billion of invest- investment. So um, the LDS and its investment firm um, Ensign Peak Advisors used shell companies to hide a 32 billion stock portfolio. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission said Ensign Peak will pay a four million pound penalty, and the church will pay one million. <clears throat> so they, you know, the, the the story basically covers that. You know, they they created around 13 shell companies. Um, and they've been hiding, you know, 32 billion, right? Over 32 billion in investments. But the fine that they've been given is just 4 million and the church will pay 1 million of it. So, you know, the uh, the, the reason I, I, I mentioned this headline is because, you know, we see uh, day in, day out that um, the money... The money in this, and this wasn't in terms of dollars. This is an American news story. But day in day out, we see that the money in this, uh, not just in our country, but you know, the Western nations, especially the leading world countries, that their first world countries, right, not third world countries, um, it's not fully being utilized properly. The money of the people, you know, who fund the government, who fund everything else through tax, rightfully so. But uh, you know, a lot of the. Um, the money that we see around the world, it doesn't get answered for, and uh, in, in you know in, in the, the way I see it, a lot of the money, for example, we were spoken this uh, about this quite a few times earlier as well. A lot of the money that was wasted on you know useless PPE, and uh, you know those um, COVID kits that you know went to waste, <coughs> and it, it was in the billions. And the tra- track and trace system that was in the billions as well, billions of pound, mm. and it was an unsuccessful co- uh, system. No one's answered for it. People should be held accountable accountable for their actions. That that that's just uh, that's just one of the things that I just wanted to mention. That people should be held accountable, whether they are government officials, whether they are MPs. Everyone should be held accountable for their actions because that is, you know, the just and the correct way to do mm. things. And Islam teaches yeah. justice. Islam mm-hmm. teaches justice in the sense that you know, if you look at um, the Old Testament, there you know uh, it teaches an eye for an eye. If you look at the Bible, the New Testament, turn the other cheek. These are the teachings. So one one is like you know on one extreme, one on the other extreme. Islam teaches the middle path that you should um, you know you can jazaw sayyidum sayyidum bimisliha. Right, mm-hmm. that is a verse in the Holy Quran. Essentially means that you should give the punishment or the equivalent of what has happened to you. But faman afa wa aslaha Allah. Whoever forgave. His reward will be with Allah the Almighty. He will find his reward there. Islam completely always teaches the middle path. Anything, anything else that's caught your eye in the news, or if you, you know, we can. Um, um, I know you're a football fan. We can discuss that a little bit if you want to mention. Yeah, anything. we can. Uh, of course, yesterday I think a lot of football fans must have watched the Champions League. That uh, the two football matches that happened yesterday. One was between Liverpool and hmm. um, Real Madrid. And it was quite an exciting game, to be honest. Yeah. Um, Real Madrid did win um, 5-2 at the end. Hmm. But um, Liverpool were leading 2-0 in the first around 15, 20 minutes, which, yeah. which is a big thing. Um, so a, a football team doesn't hardly come <laughs> back after being down two goals, and especially yeah. at, a, at a football pitch, uh, which is known for its hostile and, um, atmosphere. Mm. Which is at Anfield, um, but Real Madrid did a really good job, and they came back and mm. eventually won five two, which is a which is a big big score. But they they are like you know the better team, no? 
Um, yeah, this season you could say Liverpool are having mm. a very bad domestic mm. season, but in the Champions League they always do turn up. Mm. Um, but yesterday we thought in the beginning they did turn up, but it ended very badly for them. Yeah, yeah. We have other games coming up um, today, also in the Champions League. It's mm. C- City is playing Leipzig mm. and Inter Milan versus Porto, so it should be another interesting night yeah, for Champions League. Another yeah. interesting lineup of events. Yeah. So we, uh, dear listeners, we do hope you've been enjoying the breakfast show so far. You know, it is a live interactive show, as we have always mentioned. You can call in at 0286877878 or tweet us at The Voice of Islam UK. We'll be taking a very short break and then we'll be delving into our first segment of the morning. Don't go anywhere and please do join us after the very short break. The Holy Quran states, Allah is the light of the heavens. And the earth. Anur is that being through whose light a physically blind person sees, and a person who has gone astray finds guidance. It is that being who is apparent and through whom all things are manifested. His being is apparent in himself and makes things evident for others as well the true light is god which can be perceived in everything by those with insight however one who is devoid of spiritual sight cannot see it a believer is firm on the belief that the universe that can be observed as well as the universe that cannot be observed is created by God in order to give an understanding of this light God sends his chosen people who spread the nur which comes down from the heavens throughout the world the promised messiah on whom be peace writes that light of high degree that was bestowed on perfect man was not in angels was not in the stars was not in the moon was not in the sun was not in the oceans or the rivers was not in rubies or emeralds or sapphires or pearls in short it was not in any earthly or heavenly object it was only in perfect man whose highest and loftiest and most perfect example was our lord and master the chief of the prophets the chief of all living ones muhammad the chosen one peace and blessings of allah be on him The holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be on him set the most excellent example and the highest standard of nur which was established as a reflection of the light of God and which will continue till the day of judgment the nur he received was conveyed to his companions and established excellent morals amongst them 
so much so that he likened them to the stars. After the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, the reflection of God's light was the promised Messiah on whom be peace. This was due to complete subordination of his master. Not only did God fill the promised Messiah on whom be peace with nur that was sent down more than 1,400 years ago, he also granted him the station to spread this nur. The promised Messiah on whom be peace wrote that no one knew him and God compelled him out of his solitude and told him that he would bestow upon him honor and make him renowned all over the world. It is a way of God that when he adorns someone with nur, he manifests it to the world. After all, when the worldly light has a capacity to spread, how can the light of God stay hidden? A new station, the voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show, dear listeners. And, uh, you know, we will be getting straight into our first segment of the morning, where we'll be discussing the NHS. And we do have, you know, an interesting lineup of guests with, for you guys as well that we will be interviewing as well. So in, in terms of uh, what the story holds is that tens of thousands of nurses and nearly 12,000 ambulance workers went on strike Monday of pay and working conditions in the biggest walkout in the 75-year history of Britain's National Health Service. Escalating industrial action comes after years of falling wages, stretched budgets and staff shortages that have left the NHS in a state of crisis, with waiting times for treatment at a record high at the same time. An ageing population needs its service more than ever. <clears throat> that unhappy mix is fueling a boom in demand for private health care from a much broader swathe of the UK population than ever before. A fundamental shift for a nation with one of the world's best known universal health systems. So, you know, in, in, ter in terms of that, I myself personally, you know, can attest to this as well, attest to the waiting times. So my father, you know, recently, um, we had to take him to A&E and um, he had to get some blood, blood test done. Uh, it was, you know, it was kind of an urgent thing as well. So we went in uh, like 10, 10.30 at night as well. And um, by the time we got home, it, the hospital was about, you could say, 20 minute drive away. By the time we got home, it was 4.30 in the morning. Mm. And me personally, mm. I have a similar experience for this because I have a child who is a three-year-old and um, unfortunately he had an um, injury yeah. which uh, caused us to take him to the A&E. So we went at around 11, 12 o'clock at night and <laughs> left the A&E hmm. in the morning at 6 or 7 o'clock. So yeah, the waiting times are... And, and children, are, you know, they're supposed to be at the top priority yeah. as well. Because yeah, so, they're in pain. Yeah, they're exactly, kids, so. exactly. But I mean, look at, look at, look at the situation. That's just this, that's just our personal, you know, anecdotes that we are sharing. But this is the actual situation across 
across the yeah, country. Million, millions are facing the similar yeah. experiences. And as as you mentioned that mm. it was once idolized, mm. I still remember my um, uh, history teacher yeah. who used to be um, so much in favor of the NHS. He used to say that this was the best um, decision mm. that in, in British history, basically, to mm. have the NHS system yeah. is the best uh, thing our British system has ever produced. Mm. And from that, by idolizing it so much, we mm. see the downfall of it now. It is quite uh, disturbing. You know, it's, it's, it's some, some argue that, you know, by showing that, you know, the NHS is not able to cope and, you know, by bringing all these other measures and, you know, they brought the army in as well for a while yeah. to cover shifts and stuff, to cover the, you know, the ambulance driver's shifts and stuff. Uh, they're basically essentially showing there is no other way out but privatization yeah and you know that will that will cripple the nhs right it will basically finish it and and the nhs still is you know it's, it is such a amazing system for this country as well it's mm. such a blessing for our country that we should you know adhere to especially, as well especially for the people who cannot afford as much as others, of course, right, of course. Um, and if it does um, end up going mm. to the route of privatization, then a lot of people will be struggling. Definitely, and definitely. we see the rise in everything nowadays, definitely. from milk to eggs mm. to uh, water. Mm. And then on top of that, if health is privatized, yeah. it will be really hard for the majority of the people mm. to manage. So, uh, we do, uh, uh, I am delighted to say that we do have online with us our first guest of the morning. Yeah, we have um, Dr. Ian Gargan, if I'm pronouncing it properly. He is a, um, a chief executive of the PHIN in September 2022. Ian um, has a extensive experience as a medical doctor and qualified psychologist. He has worked in the public and private healthcare sectors. Um, with leading organizations driven by data to improve patient outcomes. Um, so uh, I welcome you. Um, Good Dr. morning, Ian. peace be upon you, and welcome to the breakfast show, Ian. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? We're, we're very well. It's a, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank yeah, you very uh, much. Yes, Ian. Um, so we have a, a few questions for you, if you don't mind us asking. Of course, yeah. Yeah, um, the first question that I would like to ask you is that can you please um, expand on what Private Healthcare Information Network aims to achieve? Yeah, thank you. So fin.org.uk, um, the Private Health Information Network, FIN, is an architect of uh, information gathering. So what we do is we gather data uh, and information about doctors and hospitals and private medical insurers that patients can log on and see in our website to inform them about the choices that they want they they might need to make to uh, um, to acquire their healthcare intervention. So, for instance, if you want surgery and you need, you need an operation on your hip, then you will go on to fin.org.uk and you will look up if there is a hospital near you that might be able to do a hip replacement or some hip checks, and uh, what surgeon could best serve you. What the um, how many operations that surgeon does, what the cost is, and what the what typical length of stay you'll have in the hospital, or um, you know what the outcome is likely to be for your hip. So, our aim is to provide information to the public so they can make the best choice about what healthcare provision to get for themselves. Very nicely 
put um, another question I wanted to ask is, is there a reason um, as to why people have started utilizing this uh, private health care? So we're a not-for-profit organization mandated by the government and um, we're paid for by the hospitals um, a, a small levy on all their episodes. And we get get all this information we gathered from around the country, about 460 sites over about 140 providers. And what we're learning is that more people are beginning to pay for their own surgery or medical care because the wait lists um, in the NHS are very long and they don't know, they actually don't know how long they're going to have to wait. So they're long anyway, but they don't have, there's not that transparency there. So while the private health sector can't serve the public potentially as well as the NHS can, and we're not wanting to compete with the NHS at all, we, we think of it as a parallel system, a twin track system. We're finding that more people are going out and getting insurance or paying for healthcare themselves because they don't want to wait as long for the common procedures like their hip replacements or knee replacements or their cataracts or to get their scopes to know what's wrong with their tummy. So really think that people are looking for an answer just because they don't want to wait as long and they're a bit worried about their health. Uh, Ian, could you uh, elaborate a bit more on um, you know what data there is to support the fact that people are more people are turning towards uh, private healthcare? Yeah, so our data, so we collect data, like I said, all over the country, uh, Wales, Scotland, England and Northern Ireland. And we're finding that in some places, a 134% increase, 134% increase Hmm. in people who are paying for their own health care. On average, it's Hmm. 33%, about a third of the population. And there's about almost a million procedures a year. Hmm. A third of the population are willing to pay for their own health care. So that's we collect all we've mountains of data and we're able to look at those kind of trends you know in terms of gender number of people types yeah. of operation but we're seeing a significant increase in people who are willing to pay for their own ops and it, that's in a time of greater inflation hmm. and greater cost to the nation uh, and the cost of energy crisis etc so you know that says a lot about people's desperation for, hmm. to want to have this kind of care and feel that they're waiting for it for a long time. So we 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 don't have a commercial axe to grind. Um, no. We're we're just here. We're not like I said. We're not for, for profit, but we're just gathering that data and seeing yeah. it. And, and it's actually a real reflection of the population and their need. So uh, very informative. So so this thirty three percent that you mentioned, you know, on average, is it the average person, average working person, or is it you know people a bit more higher up on the on the ladder? No, average working person. Like okay. I've I've been on loads of. Um, interviews and talks with people who have um, sacrificed mortgages and welfare payments and everything just to get wow. their care and get their uh, get their results. Like mm. I was on an interview recently with one woman uh, who wasn't going to, she had, um, you know, change of cells uh, after a smear and she was very, very worried. It said she got a, a letter to say that she uh, potentially had cancer cells and she'd mm. have to wait for 12 to 18 months for um an appointment to mm. confirm or deny that that was the case, and she put all her savings into a private healthcare uh, intervention or consultation so that she would know whether she potentially had cancer or not. So mm. she had no money at all, and she was uh, sacrificing all of her savings to help. So it's not it's not a particular demographic; it's everyone. I think. Okay, it makes uh, sense as well because, makes sense as well mm. because at the end of the day, health is. The most important yeah. thing, as they say, health is wealth, yeah. right? Right. Without health, yes. you can't do anything. It totally is. And the thing is, we like I, I encourage people to look and to examine 
what type of healthcare is available to them mm. uh, in their own community, like at fin.org.uk. Yeah. And unfortunately, what we people don't look at it until they're sick. Um, and actually, people should think about this before they get sick, mm. so that they know and they have an informed choice mm. when they get a bit worried. Yeah, definitely. But you know that the, uh, a lot of households, you know, especially those that we do see, there, there is a cost of living crisis. Those who are, you know, even struggling to heat their homes or having to decide between that or feeding themselves, going to food banks. Those yeah. guys, if they are in need of these operations, they will not be able to afford or save up for these operations. They will have to rely on the NHS. And instead of, you know, you know, like a lot of people, a lot of the NHS workers, the nurses are going on strikes, and people are saying, you know, you should still look after the people of course but we have to understand both sides of the story right yeah totally and i like i've worked in the as a doctor in the public and the private system and i completely mm. endorse the nhs i had to use the nhs myself last week in king's college exactly and they were able to see me after three hours like yeah. the nhs still it's, serves sta- it's still such a bl- it's a blessing as well for us right oh it's amazing mm. the nhs is amazing we're, we're here as a private the private health uh information network, the FIN, we collect data about the private, but we work in partnership with NHS and we yeah. share data between ourselves. Yeah. So I think that one, don't, your listeners shouldn't think, oh, if you if you need an operation, you need to go private because mm. of the waitlist. It's only waitlist for certain things. The yeah. NHS is still your first port of call. Like yeah. they're absolutely brilliant. Definitely. And, they, uh, and they serve the community amazingly. So mm. it's just this is just another option for people to yeah. be able to get that yeah so so just just one last question you know before we let you go in terms of uh, public versus private healthcare what what sort of predictions do you see in the, in the near future so i think after 25 years working in medicine i think that public healthcare can do amazing stuff in terms of mer- emergency care and cancer care and and other rudimentary operations and mm. help people who can't afford private healthcare yeah. i think the private healthcare uh, organization can help supplement what's going on in the national health service hmm. and be able to do the some of the what we call rudimentary operations and interventions to unburden some of the wait lists in the health system so my prediction for the future would be that private health care can help or supplement and subsidize what's going on in the public system so that the wait lists can get uh, shorter yeah yeah definitely definitely Thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning, Dr. Ian. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for shedding light upon this topic as well. For now, please do have a good morning. Peace be upon you and take care. Thank you. Have a lovely day. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye for now. So, you know, that was uh, Dr. Ian Gargan from the Private Healthcare Information Network. And, uh, you know, he explained how, you know, people are, a lot of people are having to resort to private healthcare due to how the NHS is being underfunded. I think the main right. thing he did mention was that why they are moving towards mm. private health Because of the long waiting. Of the time. waiting. Yeah. And we all all witness to that mm. because we experience mm. it in our lives. Also, I think the booking and appointment, the system for that, yeah. is also uh, a bit of an issue. As um, we all know, when we have to book an appointment mm. for the NHS, mm. we have to wake up in the morning, yeah. right? And there's a short uh, slot mm. of time mm. in which you have to call. Otherwise... Mm. Um, you're going to miss out on mm. the appointment, mm. and if you do get an appointment, if you if you've managed to get through to the mm. GP, then mm. um, somehow the book the appointments are already booked, mm. and that's another big hassle. No, but you know the, the the thing is, like we can't necessarily blame the system. It's because they are understaffed, they are yeah, underfunded, of, yeah. and they have so many, essentially, so many patients, they can't deal with it. 
So instead of you know, we should be supporting managers in every mm. every possible way that we can. So um, you know, we do. We will obviously we will be inter- interviewing another guest as well after after the news. Um, I'd just like to you know uh, read out some figures for you guys in terms of that. So at the end of November, a record seven point two million patients in England were waiting for non-urgent medical care treatment on the NHS. <coughs> Disband diagnostic tests and scans, procedures such as hip and knee replacements, as you know, Dr. Ian mentioned, but also cardiac surgery, cancer treatment and neurosurgery. More than half of those on the list had been waiting up to 18 weeks mm. and up and, and about 400,000 patients had been waiting for more than a year, according to data from NHS England. To avoid joining waiting lists, more and more people are paying for their own private care uh, and, uh, you know, taking out health insurance. In the second quarter of 2022, the number of patients paying directly for private health care increased 34% with the same period in 2019 to reach 67,000, according to, you know, as we spoke to Ian from the private health care information network. This figure re- uh, really uh, revealed a 184% jump, you know, and it's a 153% increase in self-pay for knee replacements and 42% rise in private cataract surgery so you know these are just some of the figures that you know really put into perspective the crisis you know essentially what the the, the crisis the nhs is in because a lot of people are having to resort they are seeing they have no choices like you mentioned you know as a lady uh, the lady that he mentioned she put all her savings yeah. into because Obviously, no one wants cancer. Health is wealth, right? Of course. If you can be rid of it, no matter how much it costs you, you are saving your life, essentially. You you are saving someone else's life. And he said someone had to, like, you know, they gave up their mortgage Mortgage, as well for it. So, you know, the NHS is in crisis as well. Um, And um, in terms of... um, in terms of, uh, you know, what we can do as well as, uh, you know, being uh, Muslims as well, you know, the teaching of Islam is that if you treat others like brothers and strive to give them their dues accordingly, as we were mentioning earlier in the news segment as well, you know, being we are all brothers of each other, brothers for each other, and we should like what we like for ourselves, for our brothers as well, and give them, uh, give them their dues accordingly, then the system of the world will never go wrong. And when it comes to claiming one's right, one should seek recourse through lawful means rather than through protests and strikes. In times of the promised Messiah, if an Ahmadi took part in a strike, the promised Messiah would reprimand him and express displeasure upon this act. Yeah, of course. And also, the you know, the Quran teaches against this kind of disorder. Mm. Yeah. In chapter 2, verse 12, it, the, it mentions, create not disorder on the earth. So that's what it initially means, right? So any strike... But, you know, okay, uh, there's nothing <coughs> wrong with peaceful protests. Of course, yes. of course. But when, when once um, a violence is introduced mm. into it, then yeah. it's uh, it, it hurts the society also mm. and the economy mm. of that country. Definitely, definitely. So, dear listeners, you know, we do hope you've been enjoying today's show far. The news is looming and we will be carrying on discussing this segment after the news as well. We'll be interviewing another guest as well, hopefully, for you guys, so you can have an interesting take from different perspectives and different angles on this article, on this news story that we are discussing here. 
And as always, the number to call in is 0286877878. Please do join us after the news. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim in the name of Allah the most gracious ever merciful. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show dear listeners. Um, we were you know discussing our first segment of the morning Britain's NHS was once idealized now it's worst ever crisis fueling a boom in private healthcare. So, um, what does you know? What does Islam mention in in regards to this? In regards to this topic that we've been discussing, um, regarding the strikes that nurses have um, been going on, um, the His Holiness um, <coughs> Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed, the fifth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah be his helper, has said that the main cause behind strikes was the failure to give others their due. Governments and employers do not fulfill their responsibilities <coughs> to their subjects or employees and vice versa, vice versa, which is the cause of tension. Um, and Islam also mentions that um, we should hand over trust to those who are entitled mm. um, to it, right? Definitely. And loyalty to one's um, nation mm. is part of our faith, as we all know, right? Um, and I think... We should we should put those people in power yeah. who are deserving of it, of course, and of those course. that are going to be progressing mm. the country mm. and be in competition with the higher mm. countries around the world. Mm. So if that if the government at that time is not doing anything about it and they're not progressing and it's we see a downfall, um, then yeah. maybe it's a time to have some changes in that country. Mm. So yeah, but it does not mean that we should resort to um, violence acts and protests and strikes around. Um, also, His Holiness uh, has mentioned um, that it should be remembered that even where protests <coughs> or strikes are conducted peacefully hmm. without uh, recourse to criminal damage or violence, it still can have a very negative effect. This is because even peaceful protests often result in a loss of millions to the economy of the nation. Hmm. So Definitely. as we discussed before, as initially, um, it does have an effect on society and the economy of that person. Hmm. His Holiness explained it beautifully. And, you know, um, in my personal opinion, for example, the prime minister, if we take him, for example, the prime minister, the, the leader of our nation, he he's a billionaire, right? He's his, his, his salary is, uh, the prime minister's salary is like 160, 170 odd thousand pounds a year. As well as being having a billionaire status, right? He he can't, you know, he can't put himself in the shoes of someone who's having to struggle between either heating their house or deciding whether they want to go to a food bank or whether they have to go to a food bank or whether they have to skip a meal, right? He can never fully understand that person. And um, obviously, you know, we... Um, Obviously, we, we pray that, you know, the leaders of our nation do understand what is going on in the country, what is, um, look after all the people, right? And give them every, give everyone justice and give the due rights. As as His Holiness rightfully mentioned, it's because people go on strike because they're not given their due. 
so uh, we were discussing that a bit further. Um, so we do have online with us our second guest of the morning, David Furness from Independent Healthcare Providers Network. Um, David Furness, um, he is a IHPN's Director of Policy and Delivery, having worked as Senior Policy Advisor at NHS Improvement, covering areas such as choice and competition, acute care policy and community service. Good morning, Peace Be Upon You, and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Morning, thank you for having me. It's, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on. Are, are you guys like related to the other, you know, uh, P, PHIN as well? Uh, no, that's a, a different organisation. We're yeah. we're a membership body for independent healthcare providers. So that, okay. That's independent providers who, who deliver both NHS and, yeah. and privately funded care. No, because yeah, because it's like the the initials are essentially the same, but just in a different order. Yeah, just right? re- rearranged. Yeah. But no, we're we're different organisations. Yeah, yeah. So just just to begin with, could you please tell our listeners your role as um, in in the healthcare sector? What services do you guys provide? Sure. So our members provide a, a full range of services, everything from primary care, so general practice, uh, through community services, diagnostics, things like scans and ultrasounds. Uh, and then lots of our members also provide hospital services. So that will be many of the, the sort of private and independent hospitals that, that you and your listeners will be very hmm. familiar with. Um, and then right through to kind of specialist services like cancer as well. So yeah. independent providers uh, deliver a, a whole range of different types of care. Hmm. Um, has there been a decrease in the efficiency of the NHS, would you say? I don't think that's something we, we'd comment on at all. I mean, we, we know that the, the NHS is under lots of pressure yeah. uh, and, and people are obviously kind of, you know, c- concerned about whether they're going to be able to access the care that they need. Yeah. You will have seen that the Prime Minister's recently launched a new task force, which is aimed at trying to uh, get better usage of independent sector providers to help the NHS with those backlogs. And we're mm. absolutely committed to that and sort of fully involved in the, the work of that task force. So I think the, the, the challenge ahead is to try and sort of find those solutions. Mm. Yeah, um, David, as you know, we've been discussing um, private health care being utilised more and more um, by the public now. What would you say is the reason for this? Well, there's lots of different reasons, but it's no surprise, is it, that when people are struggling to access the NHS, we know that waiting lists are still pretty much at record levels. We've got 7 million people on the waiting list. We've got a record number of people waiting more than a year for treatment, and the the NHS is currently really working hard to deal with um, the, the, the number of patients who've been waiting more than 18 months for treatment. So we know with that as the kind of backdrop, it's no surprise that people are exploring private options so that they can be treated more quickly. That's what our members are telling us is driving that increase in interest and increase in demand for for private care uh, and while there are of course you know lot, lots of other factors as well including the ability to perhaps to to, to um uh, you know have the doctor of your choice and i think people are increasingly recognizing you know the the quality and the safe care that's available in the independent sector we do think that the the big thing that shifted uh in recent months and years is that that challenge of nhs waiting lists yeah as as um ian from Finn also mentioned hmm. the same. Hmm. Um, the waiting yeah. list is the main problem. Um, how do you think this affects the UK population? Well, it's a challenge for everybody, isn't it? Because, you know, we're all NHS patients one way or another, you know, kind of whether you use private health care or not, we're all we're all NHS patients. Virtually every all of us will be, you know, registered with an NHS GP. We all uh, rely on the NHS at different different parts in our lives. 
So it's it's certainly it's a challenge, isn't it? You know, and, and that's why it's of such importance to the government. We know that the NHS is obviously uh, working extraordinarily hard to 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 return those levels of access to the place that we all want them to be. Um, but of course, alongside that, there's a, a thriving private sector which is providing options for people to to get the care they need at the time they need it. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, David. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for shedding. Uh, yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye bye for now. Bye. So that was uh, David Furness from you know the um, IHPN, the Independent Health uh, Healthcare <coughs> Providers Network. And uh, you know, uh, as rightfully so, you know he 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 was also affirming the points that Ian made as well. One of the main reasons. One of the main reasons for for uh, people turning to private healthcare is essentially due to the extremely long waiting hours. You know, um, there was a figure as well that you know um, around fifty five thousand people that were admitted to A and E, they had around a twelve hour wait, if not more. So imagine imagine going to the doctors and waiting for twelve hours. Yeah, while you're in pain. Yeah, and this this is um, a record high. In the, this happened in this month alone, compared to the past eleven years of the NHS, yeah. and you know we're, we're not a third world country. Yeah, you won't even find some of these waiting times. You know you can't even compare them to that of those third world countries. These these times are just, just uh, are crazy times. Yeah, crazy right? times we're living in. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the amount of time that you would have to wait for just to just to be seen, even, even like you mentioned for your kid as well, right? Of course, yeah. Your three year old kid who mm, had yeah. to wait. Like eight nine hours. Yeah, even more than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while seeing your kid in pain Mm. at that time, exactly, exactly, no parent would want to. It's extremely difficult. So we we do have you know a brief audio clip of His Holiness in regards to this. Uh, So let's listen to that one. On one occasion, Hazrat Muslimud radiyallahu taala anhu explained whether holding strikes or industrial action is the right course of action or not. We should look at the root cause of why these strikes take place. The basic reason for this is a mutual lack of fulfillment of obligations. In worldly affairs, sometimes the employer does not fulfill his obligations towards the employees and consequently the employees refuse to fulfill the employer's rights whenever they get a chance. This leads to restlessness. Similarly, sometimes a government doesn't give people what is rightfully theirs and sometimes people don't pay the governments what they should. Therefore, when the employer or the government are at fault, then there is obviously a backlash. But when the employee or the people refuse to fulfill their obligations, they are then subjected to hardship. And so this is a vicious satanic circle of the worldly affairs that we are entangled with. And the Islamic teaching in this regard is that we should not act like strangers to one another. If we treat each other as brothers and try to fulfill our obligations, then the system, even the worldly system, runs very smoothly. This is the gist of the Islamic teaching and culture. So, you know, that was a brief audio clip of um, a summary of what His Holiness uh, has mentioned in the Friday sermon. Um, on 1st April 2016 in regards to why industrial action governments and um, people do go on strikes because essentially they um, feel and you know the governments are essentially failing to fulfill 
their obligations and the rights of the people. So, you know, that, that sums up uh, this topic of the morning. The listeners, we do hope you've been enjoying today's show so far. We'll be taking a very short break and then we'll be getting into our second segment of the morning, Toxic Gaming. Don't go anywhere and please do join us after the very short break. A revolutionary change was brought in the Arabian Peninsula by the Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him. He established a fair society, respect for women, and created brotherhood amongst the various tribes in his very lifetime. He promoted education in numerous ways, changing the entire landscape of Arabian society. People who were previously looked down upon soon became leaders in all aspects of human life. The Holy Quran commanded Muslims to spread throughout the world and experience the vastness of God's creation. Within a few hundred years, a relatively short span of time, Muslims became the educators of the world. They became pioneers in medicine, physics, history, geology, and civil and military administration. During the centuries of European history, defined as medieval, the most advanced civilization in the world was undoubtedly Islam. In a time spanning close to a thousand years, an era known as Islam's golden age. The holy founder of Islam, peace be upon him, placed great emphasis on learning. His specific instruction was to seek knowledge from the cradle to the grave. It is the quest for knowledge which opens the doors of progress, where Muslim minds seek not only to prove their own genius, but to implement it for the service of their creator. Islam's rapid spread during the time of the holy prophet, peace be upon him, and under the leadership of the rightly guided Khulafa, precipitated what is commonly referred to as the Golden Age of Islam, a period which ushered in immense contributions to philosophy, science, engineering and governance. The development of modern medicine, astronomy and mathematics, the refinement of algebra and trigonometry, and the use of optics in a physical manner are all legacies from the Islamic era. Muslim scientists brought both knowledge and application into inventions which are still pertinent to modern life today. Small tools ranging from scissors all the way up to complex water-powered pumping machines and standardised weighing scales were all invented by Muslim scientists. Indeed, their legacy lives on, but it's not just through the machines themselves, but also the words, many of which are derived from Arabic origin. Words include algebra, algorithm, alchemy, and camera are all derived from root Arabic origin. In the 8th century, Khalid the goat herder noticed his excitable animals had eaten red berries, which led to coffee production and the early Arabic drink al-Qahwa. This surfaced in Europe at the first Venice coffee house in 1645, making it the world's favourite hot beverage today. In the 8th century, Jabir ibn Khayyan devised and perfected the distillation process using the alembic still which is still used today. Muslims were producing rose water, essential oils and pure alcohol for medical use. Today, distillation has given us products ranging from plastics all the way to petrol. Early 13th century, Al-Jazari was the first person to use a crank which transmits rotary motion into linear motion. His machines were able to raise huge amounts of water without anyone lifting a finger. Muslims also pioneered use of alternative energy through windmills and the construction of dams and water reservoirs. The invincible designs of 12th century castles of Syria and Jerusalem were imitated in Western lands, 
with key features like round towers, arrow slits, barbicans and battlements. Muslim architecture techniques of the 8th and 10th century, such as rib vaulting, the pointed and horseshoe arch, were the main inspiration on which Gothic architecture was based. These techniques enabled European architects to overcome problems in Romanesque vaulting and are prevalent in surviving Gothic architecture all across Europe today. More than a thousand years ago, in a darkened room known as Gamara in Arabic, Ibn al-Khaytham observed light coming through a small hole in the window shutters, producing an upside-down image on the opposite wall. This early pinhole camera has led to the camera we know today. In the 13th century, Ibn al-Khaldum traced the rise and fall of human societies in the science of civilization, recording it all in his famous book, Al-Muqadimah, or Introduction to a History of the World, which forms the very basis of sociology and economic theory today. The Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said, He who issues forth in search of knowledge is busy in the cause of Allah till he returns from his quest. In this hadith, travellers emphasised in relation to the seeking of knowledge, and the emphasis on movement intertwined with knowledge refers to the pilgrimage to Mecca. This emphasis on movement alongside knowledge seeking became a dominant cultural aspect of medieval Islam. Perhaps one of the most famous explorers of all time, Ibn Battuta, travelled over 75,000 miles in 29 years' time through over 40 modern countries, compiling one of the best eyewitness accounts of the customs and practices of the medieval world. Muslims were also the first people to commonly hold the idea of a round earth. In the 11th century, Al-Idrisi was commissioned by the Norman king of Sicily to make a map. He produced an atlas of 70 maps called the Book of Roger, showing the earth was round. Al-Idrisi also made a globe out of silver to further stress the point. Maths, known as the language of nature, has been an integral part of Islamic science, as well as developing existing Greek concepts like trigonometry and giving us the numerals we use today. In the 8th century, Al-Khwarizmi introduced the beginnings of algebra and it was developed into a form we still use today by many Muslims who followed him. Second World War problem solvers were carrying on the code-breaking tradition first written about by polymath Al-Gindi from Baghdad when he described frequency analysis and laid the foundation of cryptology. Cutting-edge surgeon Al-Zahrawi introduced over 200 surgical tools that revolutionised medical science more than 1,000 years ago. These tools look identical to modern-day 21st century tools used in various types of surgery. It was the gravitational pull of Khilafat that precipitated the rapid progress of Islam during its golden era. Once Khilafat on the precept of prophethood ended, the dominance of Islam soon began to fade. Today, the renaissance of Islam continues in the form of Khilafat in Ahmadiyyat, instituted after the demise of the promised Messiah, Allah Salaam. As with the holy founder of the community, the Khulafa over the past 100 years have written numerous books embodying a massive amount of religious information. Under the divinely inspired leadership of Khilafat, therefore, the gravitational pull of unity is restored and the golden era of Islam is once more within sight. <laughs> Uh, 
Hazrat Mirza Majroor Ahmed is the present head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the most dynamic international community within Islam. The community was established by Hazrat Mirza Khulam Ahmed in Kardian, a small and remote village in India. He claimed to be the expected reformer of the latter days, the one awaited by all major world religions. Founded in 1889, the community has continued to spread throughout the world, flourishing under caliphate, the system of spiritual leadership established after the demise of the holy founder. The current successor of this movement, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, continues the work of the holy founder to revive the spiritual and moral state of mankind. The movement embodies the benevolent message of Islam and its pristine purity, a movement that preaches peace, universal brotherhood, and submission to the will of God. Ahmadi Muslims have earned the distinction and reputation of being a law-abiding and peaceful community. Within a century, the movement has reached all the corners of the earth and has been recognized and praised by the global community. Love for all, hatred for none. Those words from your third Khalifa are more important, more crucial, more essential today than they have ever been. And of course, the Ahmadi have always practiced this peace-loving philosophy. I am gladdened and inspired by the fact that the Ahmadis not only preach a message of love, friendship and understanding, but practice it fully in the way you include and invite others to share your gathering. An injunction to love all and to hate none is the avowed guiding principle of the Ahmadi life. I would thank you also that you have stressed uh, the importance of showing that Islam is the religion of peace, not the religion of hate, uh, as it was stated on the wall in the Yalsa, love for all, hatred for none. I think that is the message that the world really needs. You understand at a profound level that promoting religious freedom is an essential building block for peace and stability here and throughout the world. In this we are allied with His Holiness, a courageous champion of religious freedom and of peace. Love for all, hatred for none, is the message that we see in this mosque and from the Amadeir Association. Your people have been the leaders in taking the peace movement that one step further. The huge respect we have, we all have, for your work day by day in making a reality of peace and brotherhood across the communities in this country and across the world. I think the words that you said uh, to my colleagues in the House of Commons ring probably a little truer, but hopefully a little more hopefully than they did when you actually said it in the House a few weeks ago. His Holiness began his address by speaking of the great conflicts that divide the world today. Wars being fought in different parts of the world. He worried of even greater problems. He then went on and said, It is my fear that in my view of the direction in which things are moving today, the political and economic dynamics of the countries of the world may lead to world war. Therefore, it is the duty of the superpowers to sit down and find a solution to save humanity from the brink of disaster. They were words, Your Holiness, I think, they were taken very seriously by all who were there at that meeting. 
Wherever the movement has been established, it endeavors to exert a constructive influence of Islam through social projects, educational institutes, health services, Islamic publications, and the construction of mosques. These endeavors continue, despite the bitter persecution that the community suffers in some countries. We need all the goodness we can find in today's world. And I applaud you for your contribution in Britain and worldwide to community cohesion and the enjoyment of diversity that is such a precious asset. And wherever Ahmadis live in the world, you are renowned for enthusiastically participating in the larger community and peacefully living, aside, living alongside people of all faiths, languages, and cultures. And I would like to pay an additional tribute to the work being done by Ahmadis in raising standards in Africa and particularly in education. Yes, Britain has welcomed the headquarters of the Ahmadis in this country, but it hasn't become something that's become, as it were, a closed sect in Britain. It's become a community that has sought to reach out to all of us. And that's very important because the best way to break down the barriers of misunderstanding and prejudice is for that contact to happen, and I thank you for that. The Ahmadiyan community contribute hugely to interfaith forums, to the richness of our community, and that is the same that's reflected across our nation. But what I would like to pay tribute to you as well this evening is the contribution that you make to wider society, the important charitable causes that you support not just for your own communities, but for the wider communities. And that is to be acclaimed and that is to be applauded. His Holiness, Hazret Mirza Masroor Ahmed, the present head of the community, continues in his effort to unite people from all faiths and cultures by promoting interfaith dialogue and religious freedom. He has traveled extensively to spread the message of peace and to remind everyone to respect the rights of other human beings. During these tours, His Holiness has met world leaders from the Far East to Europe, from North America to Africa, discussing the economic, social and political problems facing the world today and how to create peace and justice in the world. He has also met religious and community leaders in order to share common values and core ideals universal to all religions and cultures with a view to improving the moral state of mankind and creating an atmosphere of love and affection. From young to old, he compassionately listens to the ordinary man, regardless of race, color, or religion. He has personally initiated social projects and schemes to alleviate poverty and human suffering. His concern is not just about the well-being and moral state of the members of the Ahmadiyya community, but of the great human suffering of mankind at large. The Ahmadiyya community knows only that Islam, which is the Islam of love and affection, offers a real message of peace and security. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all, dear listeners. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show. You know, earlier we were discussing the NHS and how it's, you know, it's, uh, it's a major crisis going on in the NHS. And now we'll be moving on to, swiftly moving on to our second segment of the morning. Toxic gaming tackled by Ubisoft's unique police alert system. So some of you um, might not be aware of Ubisoft. Ubisoft, you know, they like, uh, <clears throat> they create games and stuff. 
they're like a gaming um, gaming company you could say um they they made quite a few famous games like such as Assassin's Creed and stuff so um in terms of the story like uh, rape jokes racism bullying if you picked up a controller or scroller um or scroll the mouse to dabble in some online gaming then you've likely come across plenty the gaming industry like others where people interact online has been trying to figure out how to get grips with behavior like this for years ubisoft makers of major franchises like assassin's creed and rainbow six has now signed a first of its kind deal with police and try to tackle the issue for its players the hope is for the agreement to start a conversation with the industry and see others follow suit. So so what what are your thoughts on this topic brother? I think it's a good thing um <coughs> that um they've tried to tackle this because yeah. I think it's really common now, <coughs> nowadays hmm. because a lot of games are being played online. Definitely. With definitely. the majority of the people not knowing each other. Hmm. I I wouldn't say it's it's, it's I would say it's more common nowadays because there's more games and there's more gamers. Gamers, yeah. yeah. As in, and, uh, yeah, the industry's grown yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. the industry's grown a lot. But even back in the day, like say 10, 15 years ago when you, you yourself or I used to, like would play online games, there was always toxicity. Yeah, always, right? always. Always. Um, I think um, to tackle that, it initially comes down to the upbringing of the child. Because from a young age... Hmm. Mm. In Islamic, if we look at Islamic mm. perspective, right? If we are taught um, lessons to the child from a young age, mm. uh, teachings of Islam, they will initially follow it as they grow up. So, yeah. for example, you know, we hear um, you just mentioned mm. at the beginning rape mm. jokes, racism, bullying yeah. online, right? Um, what does Islam teach? If we teach mm. our kids from a young age, um, speak a good word mm. or be silent. Mm. That's one of the narrations of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So if these things are um, um, <clears throat> mentioned to your kid mm. at a very young mm. age and you tell them that, look, this is what our Prophet or our mm. teaching says, they will maybe keep that in mind mm. while growing up or while communicating with other people. Definitely. And um, then we will see less of these mm. things happening. Yeah, in so, so social media... And uh, memes, of course. You know, yeah. if you're not aware of what a meme is, it's, it's like a funny picture with like a little bit of a story of what's going yeah. on. These sort of things, they ha- they're so prevalent and have a very big impact, and they're so accessible to young children as well, especially. And they essentially teach them that ridiculing, looking down upon your friends, or you know, making joke these hurtful jokes towards them is essentially proving the 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 more you're hurtful towards someone, the closer you essentially are. Mm-hmm. That's basically what it teaches you. A lot mm-hmm. of the, this stuff, it, it basically puts out the picture that if you do that, then you are very close, yeah. essentially. So that has become a stigma. It's become a notion. And it's what's not just in online gaming, but found in the world today as well. Yeah, all over social media. All over social media. You call it harmful banter, Yeah, you can say. Yeah, but it's, it's, not, it's not the correct path. Yeah, It's definitely not the correct path because you don't know what the other person yeah. is essentially going through, exactly. right? They could have mental health issues. They could be in depression. And you could, you know, we find these cases that, you know, it's, um, there's so many news articles every now and then that uh, a person, due to cyberbullying, has committed suicide. Suicide, yeah. Right? And the rates of suicide nowadays, we can exactly. see it's had skyrocketed. Exactly. Yeah. And essentially, the person who is doing the bullying, the cyberbullying, he has... Obviously, you know, in Islam, suicide is 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 frowned upon. It's 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 not allowed, right? You're not allowed to take yeah. your own life. But um, 
the person who has done the cyberbullying, the person who has ridiculed someone, uh, they have a hand to play in that person's death. And Islam, you know, there's a very basic, simple hadith, a saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that were taught at a very young age. Sibabul Muslim in Fusuk, that a Muslim shall not, you know, swear towards other Muslims, yeah. right? Or, Malla yarham la yurham. This is another very basic hadith that children yeah. are taught that if you do not have mercy on someone, yeah. you will not have, have yeah. you will not have mercy on yourself. Or, or even the narration of the Holy Prophet where it says a Muslim is such that. Um, where another Muslim is hmm. um, not harmful of him hmm. through his tongue, through, through, through his, his hands. Tongue, through his hand, yeah. exactly. So that's that the is the definition teaching. of a Muslim, yeah. right? And Islam, you know, we, we are obviously we are voice of Islam. We're going to speak about Islam, but Islam is not just a religion to one people. Exactly, right? it is religions. a universal religion. Mm. For example, the. Um, the the Old Testament, you know, it came for the for the Jews, the Israelites, right? The New Testament, you know, it came uh, through um, Christians. Uh, for Christians, for Christianity. Even uh, you know, uh, Jesus, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Even mentioned, I'm not here for everyone, right? I'm just here to guide Both you guys tribes, back, yeah. right? But um, no, nowhere does Islam claim this. Islam claims, and Islam is a universal religion. Yeah, exactly. It is and, and a way of life, and the teachings that it's given us, it's. For the whole of mankind, the whole e- of mankind, e- and even the prog- the problems that we're going to face mm. in the future, it mm. has already taught us lessons mm. for it. We might not know now, mm. and we might not know what problems we're going to face in the future. Mm. But Islam and the Quran has already mentioned the the outcomes and the way to tackle these problems mm. in the future. Islam, you know, Islam also mentions, and there is also a narration of uh, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that every child is born a Muslim, right? It is only the environment, only his surroundings that make him go down a path of, say, Christianity, Judaism, atheism, whatever you may have it. But essentially, he is born, uh, uh, because it's not just a religion, it's a concept, It's it's a way of life. Right, it's a universal religion. Yeah, it's inclined towards life. your nature, exactly. right? Exactly. So everything that you hear from Islam, right, it mm. it, it basically um, you are moved towards it yeah. because it's inclined towards your nature. So, uh, what what sparks you know uh, gamers to indulge in such toxic behaviors? Yeah, um, I think um, decades uh, decades of research suggests that video games often influence players in a positive way which we mm. which we do know because um, it increases uh, psychological well-being enhances problem solving and it also uh, progresses your other skills yeah. and even increases uh, interest in stem fields as yeah. mentioned but also um, but not too often these benefits of video gaming <coughs> are counteracted by mm. toxic behaviors mm. as we have been talking about yeah yeah, so you know we do have um, we did we did manage to record an interview with uh, one of our guests in regards to this, uh, a doctor uh, who is a research psychologist, Dr. Rachel Cowart. So let's listen to that one. We do have online with us uh, our guest of the morning, Dr. Rachel Cowart. Uh, she has a PhD and is a research psychologist and the research director of Take This. She is a world-renowned researcher on the uses and effects of digital games, including their impacts on physical, social, and psychological well-being. 
Good morning. Peace be upon you and welcome to The Breakfast Show, Doctor. Thank you for having me. Uh, could you please expand on your role as a research psychologist? Sure. So rather than spending my days talking to clients or working in a clinical sen- uh, setting, I spend my days reading research papers and crunching numbers. Uh, so at Take This, I lead all of the research initiatives. Uh, we serve the gaming industry, but also game players, gaming communities. And currently my work is focused I'm looking at kind of the darker sides of these communities, so the prevalence of what people often call toxicity and hate and harassment in gaming spaces. Thank you, thank you. And uh, what impact does toxic gaming have on individuals' physical, social, and psychological well-being? That's a good question. You know, what we often refer to as toxic behavior, which could be anything from kind of annoying somebody with spamming the same message over and over, or it could be something more serious like hate speech or harassment. These have a range of mental health impacts, both short and long-term. So it can be short-term distress, for example. And in the most extreme cases, we can even see symptomology associated with post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. And how can we encourage a healthy relationship with the gaming? Games should just be one of many things that we do. I always go back to this framework that was put forward by Amy Orban. She's a, a psychologist that works at the Oxford Internet Institute, and she calls it the digital diet. So it should just be one of many things that we do in our lives. And if it starts to cause distress, if it's starting to cause more harm than good in our in our lives, then that's when we start to seek help and think about the role that it's playing. Mm. And if you don't mind me asking, do you have any like personal story or personal anecdote to share with us in regards to maybe, you know, how you would you have tackled or seen toxic gaming? Oh, yes. Well, you know, as a non-man in the gaming space, I've definitely experienced my share <laughs> of hate and harassment. That's one of the things. Yeah. Um, you, you know, it's, it's interesting because there aren't a lot of really good strategies apart from blocking and reporting within the game platform and or not using your microphone so people don't know that you're not a man uh, in the gaming space. So we have a long way to go in terms of how to best combat these things in gaming spaces. Mm-hmm. But I think the important thing is knowing that there are tools available to at least kind of protect your peace and, and try as best as you can to put yourself in a, in a bit of a bubble. Mm. Definitely, definitely. You know, this is a bit of a controversial one, but, you know, uh, some people might say that like you know this this happens online all the time so if you just yeah. you should just get even and you should just if someone's like saying something you should just say it back but obviously you know that is not the correct path so what, what, what's your advice on this no that is not the correct path <laughs> um <clears throat> actually research shows the best way to extinguish the behavior is mm. to have an ally um call it out so if i am uh, somebody saying something awful to me and the person who's saying something awful to me let's say is a is a male having another male come in and say, hey, that's not okay, what you're doing here is actually the best way to extinguish Mm. the behavior. Um, So Mm. it's not just continuing to escalate the situation, which is what would happen if you just give it back to them, Um, but use the tools provided to you to block report, meet all that stuff, but also have an active advocate, you know, Mm. be be the change you want to see in the world, so to say, it also applies in the digital space. And, you know, it occurs a lot more in our youth today that obviously a lot of youth play game like online gaming, obviously older older adults do as well, but it's mostly youth. And um, they are picking up on these habits as well because our previous generation used to do the same. So what's your advice for them to, you know, to be in a more safer environment? Oh, to be in a safer environment. 
I mean, again, I would go back to, you know, be aware of the tools you have to make the space better. And you are also, you know, you have the power of, of changing the space. If there's an environment that you're in that's particularly awful, you know, not all game spaces are created equal. Some are absolutely lovely. Um, if you're in a space that makes you feel uncomfortable or is awful, move to a different space. And that doesn't necessarily mean you even have to move to a different game. I'm not saying don't play certain games, but surround yeah. yourself with people who make you feel comfortable. Games are supposed to be fun. They're not supposed to be awful. Um, of course. So of find course. a social community, right, that supports and makes you feel good. Yeah. And any last words of wisdom you'd like to share with us? Uh, you know, just be an active advocate and, you know, stand up for others in this space. And it's really easy to just ignore it. Um, but that does not... Mm-hmm you know, make anything change. So, yeah, active. definitely. Definitely. Thank you so much for shedding light upon this topic and joining us this morning. Uh, for now, uh, peace be upon you and have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. So that was uh, Dr. Rachel Coward, you know, just uh, discussing some of the points that we were also, we also touched upon in terms of toxic gaming and how, you know, it is very harmful and how it can affect one's mental health and mental well-being. So, uh, you know, in terms of Islam, in this era more than before, society is engulfed by satanic influences. As we were speaking earlier about social media, it can harm a person's faith and take them on the wrong path. In addition, pornography, drugs, online gaming, gambling, immoral and inappropriate relationships, going to nightclubs and many other things amongst those satanic influences which are entirely harmful are taking people away from God Almighty. Thus the Jamaat's, um, the, the, the community, the Ahmadi Muslim community has a fundamental role to guide Ahmadi Muslims away from immoral and improper activities. His Holiness, um, the, fifth MD, uh, the fifth head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, may Allah be his helper, Advised that Vukfinor boys, those you know, those boys that have um, dedicated dedicated their lives, uh, their parents have dedicated their lives to the uh, service of um, Islam and its uh, community, should not waste time playing video games, but should instead develop the habit of reading books. Further, they should avoid all things that promote indecent behaviour, including inappropriate films. His Holiness emphasised the need for the highest standards of truthfulness and integrity. Further, uh, His Holiness also, um, you know, has warned the risks associated with games like Fortnite, and has rep- repeatedly done so on a number of occasions. You know, I remember there was this uh, news article of um, a boy in Pakistan. Hmm. He played uh, PUBG quite a bit. Yeah, uh, that's that's a game yeah, similar yeah. to it's, Fortnite. It's, it's similar to Fortnite. It's a game, and uh, so he got really angry at his mum or his sister or something like that once. And he killed them. He killed them thinking they would revive. They would come back to life. They would respawn. Mm. How like old this, was the kid? Uh, the, the kid was, he, he was old. He was old enough. He was 16, 17, I believe. And, you know, this just goes to show how much affects the mental psyche mm. and how these games can, you know... Because at that time, I think the brain of the child has not fully developed mm. either. They say no, that. No. But as in these things do affect them mm. because maybe they're not fully aware of everything at that time. No, and he laughed it off after as well. That was mentioned in the article. Mm. And the thing is, these things, they affect your neural chemistry, right? People get hooked. It is an addiction as well. Yeah, of course it is. A lot of people, they'll just end up gaming for hours on end and it's, it, it sucks you in. Like social media as well. Mm. It sucks you in and it's like an endless 
rabbit hole that you yeah, keep going down. Yeah, they say that dopamine is yeah. released yeah. every time you receive a text yeah. message. That's why you keep turning your phone, mm. seeing if you've received mm. the text messages. Even if you don't have any message, or if you're on TikTok, yeah. even if you're bored, sometimes you won't even be watching the TikTok, you'll just be flicking yeah. up with your thumb. Flick sometimes up, flick up, you flick put, up. You put your phone down, saying to yourself, okay, I'm no. not going to pick it up, mm. and then... But you you don't you don't realize and you're scrolling exactly, once again exactly. exactly that's what it, so it's it's a really dangerous mm. thing I think kids at a very young age <coughs> certainly I'm not in a my personal opinion is that I'm not in a favor mm. for giving them these kind of devices at an mm. early age mm. when they are fully mature then they should be allowed to have access to these you kind know, of things like we you know we always come back to the point that Islam is a religion of the middle path. It teaches everything in proportion, in uh, appro- everything appropriately, and uh, the thing is, um, if you don't teach your child the right and wrongs, right? If you, for example, if you deprive them of something as well, right? Uh, if 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 your child sees that everyone else, for example, mm-hmm. the, the child say is twelve years old. Okay. Everyone else, he he sees all his friends. They have phones. They're playing games. But you deprive him. It is very likely he will end up going down the wrong yeah. path. What, because you have to explain these exactly. things to you the have child. To, you, 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 can't you, just... you show your child your phone. Yeah. Like here's my phone. Okay. There's some games on it. You can play every now mm. and then. Right. Anything you want to call your friend, you use my phone. You let me know. You can call them. Right. But at this age, it is not appropriate for so, you to have your own handheld device. And you need to explain to them properly and have ex- uh, explained to them through the teachings of Islam as well. Uh, you know, Hazrat Muslim, um, the second caliph, the promised reformer, the second caliph of the MD Muslim community, he has mentioned that you shouldn't give your child too much love either yeah. because that will spoil them. Yeah, because wherever they will go, mm. they will want that attention. Exactly. And if they've been, they don't receive it, mm. they will start behaving in a, in a very in, in wrong a, way. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So that's why it's really important to, like you rightfully mentioned when we started this topic, that the upbringing of the child is really important. And the the way he is brought up, even if he is being peer pressured to do the wrong thing, he will always remember, at least he will remember that, you know, maybe my parents will be disappointed yeah. in me or maybe Allah might be, mm. the, yeah. might be upset with me. Yeah, if, you, I, if I go down this path, yeah. you always have that little bit of fear. You just have to um, keep them. Yeah, you just have to mm. keep reminding them mm. of the teachings of some. So they have this thing in their mind. Mm. Every time they take a step, mm. they know, or they have a little hint of what's mm. right and wrong. Mm. And His Holiness um, has rightfully always mentioned beautifully that we should become friends no. with our children. Mm. So they are able to share everything that's mm. going on in their lives with us and but with not that, so much so that you know you are so friendly with them that they think no 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 there always needs to be that boundary that of, level of, course, of respect of course of course always needs to be but, there but they should be able to trust you mm. so much that mm. they should be able to share their problems with you mm. so then you'll be rather than finding guidance outside mm. obviously a parent is going to guide their children <coughs> in the best way possible of course so you are able to guide them but if mm. they don't reach out to you if you're not in a in um in a in a, in a friendly mm. uh, environment at home then obviously they'll be hiding. They're more likely to hide more stuff mm. from you. So you won't be able to guide exactly. them in, a, in exactly. the right way. The thing is, you cannot you cannot lock your kid away 24-7 in one bedroom and just expect that to be it. Right? Of course not. That's because not right. first of all, that's not the right way yeah. anyway. Yeah. Second of all, you have to... Obviously, you as a parent, 
you want to protect your child from the dangers of the world, but you need to make them understand first the dangers of the world. Of course, that's right for wrong. But I think a lot of the upbringing, for me, my personal opinion is mm. that a lot of it comes down to prayer at the end mm. of the day. This society, the, everything that we see that's going on around the world right now, to safeguard your kid from it, I think personally prayer is very, very essential. Mm. Part of our faith also. Mm. And just pray to God that may God guide us all and of course. Um, help our kids and have the best upbringing for them. Mm. And you know, like um, I have nephews as well that live with me. They're young. They come home from school and they're like, "Oh, they go to a Christian school, so they're like, oh, like Jesus is is Jesus God? Who is yeah. Jesus?'" They have yeah. these questions. Yeah. They kids will always question. Always that's in their nature. But you know, you need to explain to them, like little by little, and just explain to them what our beliefs are. And obviously, as they grow, you know, mm. you explain to them a little mm. bit more, mm. and you just instill with them what our beliefs are and what the way of Islam is. It's good. It's good. <coughs> Islam even promotes critical, uh, critical think, thinking, thinking exactly, right? Exactly. So you've got to question it. Yeah. And by questioning, you're going to end up realizing what's right and wrong. Exactly. And Islam says, look, you should question. Mm. You should question your faith. Mm. And with God's help, God will guide you to the right path. Essentially. Definitely. Definitely. We do have a brief audio clip in regards to this. So let's listen to that. As a Vakvino or as an Ahmadi child, you should spend not more than one hour watching TV, eh? right? That is enough for you. Eh? And then at least one hour to one and a half hour, we should play outside. Eh? Not not play a game on your television with your remote game player. Eh? You should go outside in the field, play soccer or some other game, right? And uh, also read some books. So, you know, just just to reiterate what His Holiness has mentioned, you know, just uh, that obviously you can, you know, play a bit of online gaming, but, you know, that shouldn't be the main focus. You should, you should go outside, you should mingle, you should play games outside as well, you should, you know, you can play football, or, you know, you should also indulge in reading books as well to increase your knowledge. Because, you know, there is a very fundamental prayer in the Holy Quran that is found as well, that, Rabbi uh, Zinilma, that, oh my Lord, increase me in my knowledge. And as we're speaking about, you know, the right path, the middle path, you should continuously ask uh, Allah the Almighty for his help and um, ask him to guide us on the right path. So, dear listeners, we are, you know, drawing to a close to the, today's show. We hope you've been enjoy you've enjoyed it. And I would like to just, you know, thank the producer, Muneeb Mirza and the researchers, <coughs> Maria Sheikh, Marjala Ahmed, Nawira Khan, and obviously our tech department, Akib Ahmed. Uh, and my uh, co-presenter, Brother Halim Ahmed. As always, you know, it's a pleasure to present here at The Voice of Islam. And if you do have any questions, um, you know, you can call us at Oto eight six eight seven seven eight or tweet us at The Voice of Islam UK. Um, you know, Voice of Islam holds many different shows during the week as well. There's a Weekend World or, you know, there's Tribe Time as well. So, you know, try and listen to those shows and uh, try and do, you know, give us a call and do join us. Uh, for now, peace be upon you and have a good day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.